0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: 75-fold increase in per capita GDP for one-fifth of humanity in just 50 years. That's what China achieved through reform and opening up and you are living it, too. Exactly 45 years ago, China's paramount leader, Deng Xiaoping, led the country onto this historic journey after years of chaos. On the 18th of December, 1978, China's decision-makers gathered in Beijing for the third plenary session of the 11th Central Committee of the Communist Party of China. And that changed everything and it's an ongoing journey ten years ago Chinese President Xi Jinping called for a comprehensive deepening of reform and opening up at a major meeting in 2013 over two thousand reforms measures have been rolled out ever since then to bring China's development to a higher level China is now the world's number two economy number one trader of goods number one economic growth engine and the list goes on but what does it have to do with you? Have you been benefiting from China's changes without knowing? Does it matter to you that we continue reform and opening up? Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Singapore by Kishore Mabubani, distinguished fellow at uh, the Asia Research Institute of the National University of Singapore. From Beijing, by Xia Lu, research fellow at the National Academy of Development and Strategies of Remy University of China. And David Ferguson, honorary chief English editor at Foreign Languages Press, who has lived in China for many years. Gentlemen, welcome. <laughs> Kishore, let me go to you. <laughs> I wonder whether you have heard this Chinese song called Yi which is very popular among people uh, all over the world. They like to imitate the tone, although their Chinese pronunciation may not be standard. It seems that a lot of people enjoy doing that. Do you get why I'm trying to use this clip to talk about the subject we're talking about today?
2: Well, I think it's a perfect illustration of how China has successfully plunged into the ocean of globalization. And I remember vividly being in Davos in January 2017, uh, when President Xi Jinping spoke about China's fateful decision, as you mentioned earlier on, to change its economy, reform its economy. And one way it did so was to plunge into the ocean of globalization and become integrated uh, with the rest of the world. And in the process, of course, the rest of the world also became integrated with China and began to understand China better, deal with China a lot more. If you say China China is the world's number one trader, and which means that Chinese products basically now are appearing in every household. (laughs) When they wake up in the morning, when they have breakfast, when they choose their cups, uh, when they choose their cutlery, they find that, oh, this may be made in China. So clearly, the opening up of China has had a major impact, both in geopolitical terms, in geoeconomic terms, but also in terms of personal lives. And that's why it's a moment that is clearly worth celebrating, both in China and in the rest of the world. Mm
1: -hmm. Mr. Sha, let me go to you. Um, From a Chinese perspective and from a Chinese scholar's perspective who pays a lot of attention to what's being said, what's being understood uh, about China uh, from an outside world, how far and how deep is China's reach after 45 years of reform and integration with the outside world? Are people outside China adequately aware of the level of integration?
3: uh yes thank you very much actually um the integration of uh, china of chinese society of chinese people with the outside world has always been one of the most important uh, components of china's 45 years reform and opening up uh, according to uh, president xi jinping actually uh, he has urged all these chinese people and chinese uh, business and chinese local governments you know to uh do to, to further forward to further push forward the reform by uh, keep Uh, keeping uh, opening up to the outside world. So actually um, the Chinese authority well has valued the uh, integration particularly the comprehensive integration of the Chinese society with the outside world. And we could also uh, observe that during the 45 years of the reform and the opening up, China has made significant and huge transformations in different fields. And actually, all these kind of achievements are kind of uh, collectively resulted from the further integration of Chinese society with the outside world. Mm. And this is the so-called the, the systemic perspective, because we are actually uh, have seen a Chinese achievement and Chinese Let's say uh, success in all you know uh, aspect, and actually this reform and transformation has always been in a consistent, well organized and well arranged way. So yes, I would like to say that uh, this is one of China's contribution. Well, one of China's consequent, I mean, uh, uh, achievement, and also uh, in, in in the future, in a new journey, China should be uh, keep doing this kind of integration mm. with the outside world.
1: Well, yes. it didn't come easily, if you think about it, David. Um, you have witnessed the entire process for instance what happened before that fateful uh, week let's say December 13th 1978 when the former leader Deng Xiaoping gave that famous speech about liberating people's mind but also seeking truth from facts and that the country should unite and look forward that kind of just blow away all the obstacles especially in our mind before we can set out and uh, Um, lift people out of poverty and build the country really substantively. Um, How substantive is that challenge? Is that decision looking back 45 years?
0: Well, Liu Xin, um, thank you for having me on the program. Uh, I don't quite go that far back. Uh, I came to China in 2006. So I wasn't actually here for the origins of reform and opening up. But in terms of its importance, you can't overstate the importance. It has had a huge impact here in China, obviously. It's had a huge impact on the world. And I think one thing that's very important to remember is that it wasn't a denial of what had gone before. It built on the progress of the first 30 years of uh, the the PRC when some massive achievements were made, but what it did represent was a huge, huge change in direction and it's, um, it's very hard to talk about the specifics of it because they cover such a broad area, but to me, if we're talking about achievements and if we're talking about impact, I think the most important thing is infrastructure. And the reason I believe that is because I see infrastructure as being critical to economic development and critical to creating prosperity. Uh, If you can move products and people quickly and efficiently, and if you can transmit information quickly and efficiently, then you have the foundation stone for economic development. And that is what China has been able to do. China is now the world leader in infrastructure Mm -hmm. and china is now the world leader in telecommunications and that has had a huge impact from both the reform perspective and the opening up perspective because on the basis of that china has been able to build its own economic growth and china is now exporting its success to other countries through the belt and road initiative. And infrastructure is key to both of these. Mm. Um, So looking at the impact, trying to see... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about the the driving forces or the fundamental keys to what china managed to pull through to realize in the 45 years for instance uh, we took a look at the numbers china's gdp in 1978 was 52 billion us dollars and last year it was 17000 billion or 17 trillion if you will that is an annual growth of about nine percent and we did a little bit of math it was three hundred and thirty fold increase if you look at the per capita gdp back in nineteen seventy eight it was a hundred and sixty u.s. dollars a hundred and sixty right now it's twelve thousand that is seventy five fold increase kishore how was it possible that china was able to achieve that this is sheerly is just unprecedented in human history
2: well I completely agree with uh, David that infrastructures played a key role but before you even reform the infrastructure there's some key principles of economic development and as you know Singapore was very closely uh, associated with China in that period of reform because the economic architect of Singapore's economic success Dr. Goh King went to Beijing several times to meet Mr. Deng Xiaoping and discussed within these economic reforms. And one of the key, clearly, principles that Mr. Deng Xiaoping introduced was the idea of free markets. And as you know before, in the previous Centrally Planned Society, it was the state that allocated which goods would be produced and who they would be sold to, at what price, and that proved to be a very inefficient way of organizing an economy. So the the big switch that Mr. Deng Xiaoping made was to switch away from central planning towards free markets. But beyond that, it wasn't just about having free markets domestically, it was also about joining the free markets globally. And what is stunning about China, and and we can say this with great confidence uh, in ASEAN, is that when ASEAN was created as a, as a kind of a pro-Western body in Southeast Asia, we had closer ties with United States, Japan, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. But none of them, none of them proposed a free trade agreement with ASEAN. The first country to propose a free trade agreement with ASEAN was China. And that has led to a spectrum spectacular results now you have given some interesting statistics about how how amazingly china has changed let me give you one statistic Mm -hmm. okay just to illustrate the the impact of china's opening up in the year 2000 when china proposed a free trade agreement with aSEAN united states trade with aSEAN was 135 billion dollars and more than three times china's trade with aSEAN which was only 40 billion dollars but by last year uh, 2022, U.S. trade had grown from 135 billion to 440 billion, an increase of three and a half times, mm-hmm. a big increase. But China's trade with ASEAN had grown from grown from billion to 975 billion dollars, almost one trillion dollars. And by the way, that's the world's largest trading relationship yes. by far. So that shows that there were two critical decisions that china made one was to open up its economy inside china and more importantly the other one was to open up china to the world All right. and that basically has yep. been a magnificent contribution by china
1: mm-hmm. mr sha let me go to you because uh, from the chinese perspective we obviously have always emphasized reform and opening up and china's door of reform will never close but on the other hand the chinese leadership top leadership top leader for instance has emphasized that china's opening up is principled we have a clear direction we have always kept a clear mind we have managed what to change and what not to change. For instance, the uh, state sector, the public economic sector, has always and will continue, I believe, to be a very important um, baluster, let's say, of China's economy. Mr. Xia, how do you look at this aspect, at least on the domestic front?
3: Yes, we actually um, realized that some of the principles that haven't been changed since the beginning and the other principles, are, or actually other techniques, have always been evolving. Let me uh, begin with uh, uh, something unchanged or something continued. Actually, uh, not necessarily in the period of reform and opening up, actually, in the period of socialist construction and the socialist reform from 1949 to 1978, and also the revolutionary period from 1921 to 1949, the CPC, the Com- Communist Party of China, central leadership, no matter who held the Decision-making position. Actually, they were very clear about what way should China go. What what approach should the the Communist Party of China, you know, uh, adopt? That is the Chinese way. That is uh, the way. Always uh, uh, with uh, with this kind of uh, exact, uh, you know, understanding about the Chinese condition and Chinese context. So uh, uh, I think one of the principle that has not been changed is that the, the Communist Party of China, the central leadership, the top leaders, uh, they know exactly what way should go, and this way is Chinese own way. That is the, the socialist approach with Chinese characteristics. And that is the one point. The other point is that the reform, actually, who should be benefited from the reform? Actually, that is the people-centered philosophy or people-centered principle. This is unchanged, or this is a continued principle, lies in, not necessarily in a reform period, but also in the socialist construction period. And then let's continue to what have been evolving the principles or the techniques that have been evolving actually is the way in which government deals with economy not necessarily central government but also local government mm-hmm. actually the local leaders particularly those kind of uh, uh, city level or municipal level uh, leaders mm. and, and all these kind of local elites they have become aware more and more aware of, uh, of this relationship smart relationship between government and the market they know how to deal with the economy They know how to deal with the yeah. uh, complicated economic relation, change from the previous the so-called command economy to more you know market-oriented economy so this is that what we have been observing yeah. the the changing uh, or or let's say the evolving mm-hmm. principle so yeah. In my opinion Chinese leadership or Chinese elites always know what they are doing now always know to which direction they should lead the Chinese people yeah
1: Yeah. Kisha I want to give you the opportunity to respond what is your observation from your end because uh, to me this is very clear China is not going to throw away its own economic structure and uh, uh, development style let's say and adopt a totally westernized or liberal market economy that's not going to happen and China clearly hold on to what it believed that any Western ideas, including Marxism, has to adapt to Chinese circumstances and to the current circumstances. Well,
2: uh, as you know, um, Yushin, I wrote a book called Has China Won? And in chapter seven of the book, I described that the biggest challenge that the liberal democratic societies, especially the United States faces, is that the United States has become a plutocracy. A plutocracy is a society where decisions are made not to benefit the population at large, but they are made to benefit the small, thin, uh, wealthy people. I think clearly what you see with President Xi Jinping's philosophy of common prosperity, and to some extent, as the previous speaker said, going back to even the previous traditions of China's growth, It's very important that the fruits of China's economic growth are shared not just with the elites or the most successful, the wealthiest people, but also with the common people uh, in that society. And by the way, that's a challenge that all societies all around the world face how do you find the balance there will always be inequality in all societies we will never have perfect equality but the question is the balance and here i can tell you again from singapore's experience we have always made sure that the fruits of economic development are always shared with the people at the bottom and that's what also china has been doing and has been trying to do but i must emphasize Mm. at the same time that you must give the capitalists enough room to grow because if the capitalists don't grow the economy then the pie doesn't grow and if the pie doesn't grow then you don't have much to share. So keeping the space open for capitalists to thrive in investing and rejuvenating the economy is an equally important principle as well as the socialist principles.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, the Chinese uh, public sector or the Chinese government, uh, especially on the local level, have been adopting what is uh, known as some as the local developmentalism, that they become kind of entrepreneur to co-invest mm. into the future with the private sector, so that you know if things work out, everybody benefit. If things don't work out, they have a stake in there as well. But I. I want to talk about uh, how about the world's people, what they potentially are benefiting from the 45 years of economic growth in China. For instance, China is right now, and especially in uh, since the last decade when President Xi Jinping came into power, uh, the era has been defined as a new era and the annual growth in the past decade has been six point six percent of the chinese economy which is higher than the two point six percent of global uh, average that's according to the world bank and china's contribution to the world's economy has been almost thirty nine percent in the same period of time that's higher than g seven economy combined david i just would like to get your sense of the kind of uh, impact or contribution that China's reform and opening up are having to the world's economy and whether that is trickling down to the average people abroad?
0: Well, I think there are two aspects to this. Uh, One very important aspect is that since the Western financial crash in 2007, it's China's economic growth that has kept the Western economies afloat. So the other aspect is that China is voluntarily seeking to open up, seeking to help other countries to develop. Unfortunately, there is a failure to understand this, particularly in the West, particularly in countries like the US at the moment. Uh, Social media, which I'm sure that you follow carefully, is currently full of all sorts of unseemly gloating about problems in China's economy. Now, most of these are probably imaginary, but even if they were real, Western people, US, the UK, they don't don't seem to understand that their success is dependent on China. They can't do it alone. If China suffers problems, if, if China sneezes, they are going to catch flu. And I think there's a failure to understand that. And it's expressed in all this all this gloating and cheering about, as I say, largely imaginary problems and a complete failure to perceive that we're all in one boat. We all sail in one boat together. And if China's economy did genuinely experience serious problems, there are economies in the West that are going to go down. I mean, China would, in the worst case scenario, suffer tightened belts. There are economies in the West that would be looking at the Squid Games; they'd be looking at Hunger Games, and I think that one of my great concerns is that a failure to understand that, and that mm-hmm. failure to understand, yeah. manifests itself in this in this need to yeah. need to, to, to decouple from China, the need to try to drive downwards mm-hmm. rather than upwards.
1: Yeah, David, um, thank you very much for pointing that out. And that's why I also, that's what I'm highlighting these things. For instance, and I don't have the time to, to showcase all the list. For instance, 95% mm-hmm. of iPhones, iPods and related products were actually assembled in China. And mm-hmm. if you look at electric cars, electric scooters, I was on the streets of Europe in Germany and in California, and uh, all of the shared electric scooters were made in China, imported from China, but you don't see it. (laughs) The people who are using it, and I had to kneel down on my knees to see the bottom of the vehicle to see that they came from China. Uh, Mr. Sha, let me go to you here. Why do you think it's not known enough, it's not felt, that China's growth is in the interests of people in the world and governments in other parts of the world?
3: This is related to actually the challenges faced by China and also uh, the challenges faced by all these kind of uh, developing Countries like China. Actually, uh, if we do a very simple math, we could uh, we could we, we could grasp the bigger picture of the entire the world the development. Um, nowadays, there are um, almost two hundred countries, two hundred sovereign states um, recognized by the United Nations, and among all these kind of uh, 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 roughly two hundred nations, only less than forty something nations. Are developed countries and the rest of them more than 150 something of these countries are developing countries and even less developed or underdeveloped countries. Mm-hmm. Actually all these kind of developing and underdeveloped countries are actually practicing you know the principles uh, the regulations and according to you know all these kind of rules made by those 45 developed nations and uh, that's the background. That's the whole background or that's the very, very big background um, developing countries like China mm-hmm. is doing economy or is doing development within this kind of thing. And also we are well, when we look back, China's 45 years development and reform and opening up, we are actually reviewing the entire history of industrialization or yeah. industrial kind of uh, development only in a very shortened period. We are actually seeing this um, unequal competition. We are actually seeing this kind of okay. unfavorable um, conditions for those develop, developing mm-hmm. countries. So this is one of the important reasons yeah. we should uh, we should be cautious about,
1: right? Yeah, Kishore, I want to get your take because China is definitely adopting its own path, as you say, combining advanced elements or um, usable elements from socialist economy, from capitalist economy, as, as you like to mention. But what is China going to stick to? What will China abide by as kind of, you know, holy grail in its development, in your eyes?
2: Well, China's biggest contribution over the next 10 to 20 years will be the fact that at a time when the advanced Western economies, which basically, incidentally, open up the world for globalization, have begun closing their doors to globalization. And sadly, uh, the United States actually gifted globalization to the world. But today, the United States Congress cannot pass a free trade agreement with any country in the world. It's closing doors. So when the rest, when, especially when the West is closing its doors, it's very important that China keeps its doors open uh, to the rest of the world. And by so doing, China is making a tremendous contribution because that's what, at the end of the day, will power economic growth. And, you know, look at, for example, it was the United States that proposed the Trans-Pacific Partnership. President Obama signed it, but then President Trump dumped it, and Joe Biden cannot cannot rejoin this, it. It's there. Yeah. So yeah. China is going to join the CPTPP, which is the successor okay. to uh, TPP, and and as long as China keeps itself open and integrated, mm-hmm. it will lift the global economy by so doing. Thank you. By doing so.
1: Okay, we we have to leave it there. I think the question to ask really if China is able to reform and opening up for itself 45 years ago and intensify that 10 years ago, is the West able to do that? I'm going to leave it there. Many thanks to my guests, uh, Kishore Malbubani, joining us from Singapore, David Ferguson, joining us from Beijing, and Xia Lu, thank you very much for the Chinese perspective. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point.